From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. For some people living with disabilities, the pandemic triggered feelings of being different and even dispensable. Early signs of civic-mindedness gave way to selfishness and false dilemmas about health and the economy. Today, Micheline Lee on living through coronavirus and what it revealed about how Australia treats people living with disabilities. Micheline, in your piece for The Monthly, you mentioned that the way that you began to feel out in public, particularly uh, in areas where there were dogs, changed as the pandemic hit. I'm wondering if you can tell me a bit about that, about that vulnerability, if you're happy to. Oh, yes. So when I was going out for my walks, I use an electric wheelchair that can pick up quite a lot of speed. Um, I have a joystick and the harder you press the joystick, the faster you go. And I do speed around the place and dogs often chase me. Usually I, I don't worry about it. I like dogs. I have a dog. Micheline Lee is a lawyer and artist. She wrote about disability and the pandemic for The Monthly. But during the pandemic, I think it was just that some of the anxiety I was feeling and some of the confusion about my own place and how to respond to the pandemic that was actually leaking out, I guess. And I found that when I went to the off-leash areas of parks, that when dogs did bound up to me, I didn't have the same calm that I normally did. I actually sped up, which of course made the dogs just want to chase me more. For me, that was a sign that things weren't right. And I think it was triggering a lot of the things that I'd absorbed when I was younger and which um, you hear a lot of people with disability say that as well, that often we absorb that kind of shame of being different and it's as we become older and stronger and and realise some of the myths in society that we find our place. Mm. And can you tell me a bit more about where that anxiety during the pandemic was coming from? What were you hearing in the way that people in Australia, in politics, but also just everyday people, were talking Yeah, so the early part of the pandemic, I think there was two different responses. Their online brainstorming created Corona Care. The idea is for us to get in front of people, hard copy stuff for the elderly that don't get online. I saw a lot of people uniting more, working as a community. It's a way for people around the country to connect um, who are looking to respond to the, the crisis with kindness. And talking about the strength of community and togetherness and getting through it together. We're all Melburnians now when it comes to the challenges we face. We're all Victorians now. But I also saw more blatantly the other extreme of that attitude of every person for their own and, you know, the law of the jungle coming to the fore. A stampede of shoppers muscled through the doors of Docklands Costco. (laughs) 
Inside, there's barely room to move. Well, strict new purchasing restrictions haven't stopped staples flying off the shelves with thousands of panicked shoppers swarming supermarkets right across the country. So I experience difficulties in, and I know many other people with disabilities, were unable to access, you know, the, all the masks, sanitizers, even your basic groceries at one stage because it was really a first-come, first-serve situation where those who could, you know, got to the supermarkets first, cleared the benches. Pasta and pasta sauce gone. Flour and sugar in short supply, along with tinned food and nappies. Anything that I can possibly get my hands on, two of it. So I started having these feelings about whether the commitment to equality was so superficial that we should be forgotten as soon as there's an emergency. Mm. And so while you were seeing these sorts of responses here in Australia, were you also watching the way things were unfolding and, and watching the news of what was happening overseas? Yeah, so the early part of the pandemic, I think there was a real anxiety spreading through our society because we were seeing images of people dropping dead on the streets overseas. Well, our next report is from inside Wuhan and uh, the details are disturbing. An elderly man in his 60s was seen lying dead on the streets for several, for at least two hours. In hospitals, overrun. They're fighting a war here and they're losing. I'm tired of walking into rooms and your patient's dead. And we're also hearing stories about, like, the disabled teenager in China. A 17-year-old boy who could not move independently because of his cerebral palsy had died after he was left on his own for six days. Who was found dead after being left for six days because his father, who was his sole carer, was forced into hospital quarantine. Unable to get back to his son, his father used a social media platform, Weibo, to plea with members of the public to help as he feared village officials were neglecting him. And during this period, we were hearing um, more of these false dilemmas being raised about saving the jobs or saving the old or the economy or health, keeping people who are more susceptible safe by having more restrictions or risking more mental health issues. And even in Australia, I had people talking about or complaining about why should everyone have to be restricted because of a, a few old people. Sydney may not be in lockdown, but many there claimed Australia's overreaction to the coronavirus had taken away their rights. People just want to have their say and fight for their rights. And, you know, quite deliberately too, there were calculations being made by countries about the extent that the lives of the aged and sick can be sacrificed in order to allow the virus to spread to achieve herd immunity. I think all countries, all epidemiologists you talk to will agree that herd immunity is the one thing that will eventually slow down the spread of this virus. Nothing else will slow it down in the long term. Either you reach it by people getting infected and getting well again, or you reach it by, by vaccinating people. And the vaccine is so far off. So, yeah, there was that feeling of being dispensable, really. And I feel that it was triggering something in me 
where I was actually starting to question, you know, am I being selfish? You know, should I be more sacrificial? I was starting to feel guilty that because of people like me who were at higher risk that other people had to have the restrictions. But it was also just the offensiveness of hearing other people make those dichotomies. We'll be back in a moment. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Micheline, we're talking about the the false kind of dilemmas that people were, were talking about during the pandemic, this idea that it was either health or it was the economy. It had to be one or the other. In your piece for The Monthly, you had this other really interesting example of a false dichotomy. It related to to air travel. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Uh, so in my essay, I gave an example of a false dilemma that would constantly come up whenever I would fly in an aeroplane. So in nearly every situation, I have a member of crew come up and talk me through the procedure if there's an emergency. So they'll say, you know, in the event of an emergency, you should just stay seated in your seat, wait till everybody else has left the plane, and then one of the crew will come and get you. Now, most of the time, I wouldn't say anything because... It's just such a job getting onto the plane and making sure my wheelchairs and everything had come on the plane okay. But one time I did say something about um, whether it was fair that I should have less chance of survival by having to come off last. And the um, member of crew came back very tersely that the alternative was that I would block the aisle and everyone else would die. But once I thought about that, it's really quite a false dilemma because it's not really the situation where it's about my survival or others' survival. There's actually practical adjustments that can be made and, in fact, some airlines are making these adjustments that you sit the person with the mobility disability next to exits, you make sure that they're in a a seat where the armrests come up so you have easier access out of the seat. Uh, So that's an example of 
the kind of situations we create in our minds where we don't realise that there's actually like some unconscious bias there. So we've created situations where certain groups will miss out or be disadvantaged through, you know, the neglect um, in old persons' homes, um, through the neglect in our hospital system, in, through the inadequate living conditions in our public housing. So there are actually things that can be done to address these situations so it doesn't have to be groups pitted against each other um, for survival and that society has the responsibility not to just cater for a very narrow idea of society which, you know, the stereotypical, you know, male, able-bodied, affluent, white and that it's not actually natural um, or the natural order that diversity isn't included. Mm. And that's the kind of the outcome of this kind of thinking, right? That's the point you're making, that it that it pits people against each other um, and that only benefits, I guess, the the people who are at the, the very, like, I guess, top of the hierarchy. Yes, yep. And in my everyday life, I see it a lot. I say there were false dilemmas because it's not one or the other. You have to balance both. Um, so, for example, that dilemma of economy or health, well, we know from what we've seen as this COVID has played out, particularly overseas, that the economy will come to a standstill if COVID gets out of control. And you wrote in your piece of the monthly that some people in the disabled community are saying that now more than ever is the time in which to challenge that inequality. Can you tell me a bit about that, about why now might be a good time and why um, some of these these issues are now becoming more visible than they were before the pandemic? Uh, yeah, it, it really has highlighted the opportunities that people have and also the effects of a pandemic and that the outcomes are a lot worse for people who experience any disadvantage. And through that being highlighted, it gives us an opportunity to make sure that we're actually designing our resources, our structures, so that people have fairer opportunities. And I'm actually feeling quite optimistic about the awareness that this pandemic has raised because we only have to look at the societies that have put a value on looking after each other, no matter how strong or how vulnerable the person is. And you look at how well these societies have performed in the pandemic. And then you look at the other countries that have been more hierarchical and the chaos that has ensued. And I think it's made it much more clear to us which society we want to be. Micheline, thanks so much for your time today. All right, thank you. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer.
The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today, the Federal Defence Minister Linda Reynolds has taken medical leave and been admitted to hospital in relation to a pre-existing medical condition. She was due to appear at the National Press Club yesterday, where she was expected to face questions about her handling of sexual assault allegations made by her former staffer, Brittany Higgins. And New South Wales has announced a further easing of coronavirus restrictions after the state recorded its 38th day in a row with no community transmission. From Friday, New South Wales residents will be allowed up to 50 people at their home. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.